0: Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me with the words that you want me to say and only the words that you want me to say today. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for your presence. I long for, we want your presence in here. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for this. Amen. Pastor Pete, thank you for the opportunity. I, I, it's quite the privilege to stand in this pulpit. Um, Joey, can you put that picture up, please? I know, it's it's been a morning of... This is Scooby. This is our 16-year-old cat. And he has issues. He, he is an absolute love. We absolutely love him. He was in the uh, cage with Fred, Velma, and Daphne. So even though he's not a dog, his name is Scooby. And he has what we call the wrong side of the door syndrome. He... Uh, If you're on this side of the door, and he's on that side of the door, he wants to be on this side of the door. And so then you let him in, and he comes and sits on your lap, and he talks with you, and he visits with you, and he lays in the sun for about 15 minutes, and then he wants to be on that side of the door. And it doesn't matter which side of the door you're on, and it doesn't matter, whatever door is closed, he wants to be on the other side. Kind of like a cow, you know, the grass is always greener. He just wants to be on the other side of the the closed door. He doesn't care who's in there. He doesn't care what's going on. He wants to be there. At least to come in and take a look. So the name of this message today is The Wrong Side of the Door. So you're, you'll get it as we go on. So Genesis, starting in Genesis, and um, Genesis 7.16. So if we, if, let's see if we do that. Is that going to happen, Taylor? If it doesn't, I'll read it to you anyway. So in Genesis 7.16, uh, Noah is the, the guy here. And he's built the ark. And he has spent 120 years preaching to his neighbors and friends and coworkers and whoever. And seven people is all he was able to save. Just seven. So when it came time for the animals and Noah and his family to go into the ark, it says the Lord closed the door behind him. The first time I saw that, I went, oh, God shut the door? Oh, well, that was really kind of cool. I mean, I can imagine it's kind of a big door anyway. But God shut the door. No mention of his son-in-law's parents. You know, he's got two son-in-laws that went with no mention of those parents. So sometimes God shuts you in to deliver you from the evil surrounding you. Okay, I did an actual PowerPoint presentation. I've never done one before, so you guys got to be pretty impressed that, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not pretty, but it's, it's, I did it just to try it. Well, sometimes if God, when God shuts the door, to deliver you, that means your friends, your neighbors, your family, they're all left behind. He's calling you to somewhere else. He wants you to come up higher, and they aren't going to come with, so they're going to get left behind. He's taking you above your circumstances, and he's delivering you from their doubt and unbelief. They didn't believe that it was going to rain. They'd never seen rain. Noah's talking rain. Noah's talking rain. Noah's talking rain. Noah's building an ark. They've never seen it. They don't believe it. Okay. Well, then you skip over to Lot. Lot. Lot made a lot of really stupid choices. Just, that man just never got it. But he's in Genesis 19. So God told Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom. Lot is living in Sodom. God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom. Well, Abraham, sorry, I get Abraham, Noah, and Moses mixed up sometimes. So Abraham went to the Lord and said, well, if there's 50 righteous people, will you at least save the city? Well, how about 45? 40? Do I hear 30? How about 20? 10? I don't want to really get you mad at me, God, but what if there's only 10? God says, "Okay, if there's 10 people. Well, we find out that there weren't 10 people after all. So Lot is sitting at the entrance of the city, which he usually does, apparently, and it's evening. And he sees two men. They're actually angels, but they're in the presence and they're in the form of men. And they come, to the, they come into the city and Lot knows that his city is really not so good. So he takes them into his house. Well, the entire community, all the men in town come to Lot's house. We want the new guys and we want to know them carnally, which I'm not going to explain that. Hopefully you all know what that means. Yeah. You know, we want to know them. And it says that... Um, Both young and old men were outside this house. So it's generational perversion, generational sin going on and going on and going on. So Lot, in his wisdom, steps outside the door. Okay, so now Lot's on the wrong side of the door. He steps outside the door to try to negotiate with these men to not bother the angels that are inside his house. He offers them his daughters. Lots of stupid decisions this man makes. Fortunately, the men go. No, we don't want your daughters. But if we aren't going to get the men, we're going to start with you, and then we'll go break down your door and get into you anyway. Get your, the men anyway. The angels pull Lot back inside the house, and they shut the door. So, um, and it, sorry, hold that thought because then we go over to Exodus twelve, and it's you're going to have uh, it's the Passover coming, and. God has told Moses, he's, Moses has been dealing with Pharaoh and dealing with Pharaoh and all of this stuff, and now it's come down to the point where we're going we're gonna to destroy all the firstborn. And so if you're on the right side of the door, which is the door that has been blood on the, on the doorposts and blood on the lentils, then you're going to be saved. If you happen to be on the wrong side of the door and you're the firstborn, you're dead. God did not, you know, like Isaiah like was saying, God does not spare you. You know, just because you've done something, you need to be close to God, and then you're going to be saved. So, Noah, and Lot, and the Israelites. Sometimes God shuts you in to save your life. And there are times, you know, that he does that. So, anyway, there's another one. In Numbers 12, we see Miriam. Okay, Miriam and Aram have been walking with Moses, And they've been walking in with him when he went into Israel or uh, into Egypt, and when he came back out into the wilderness. Now things are still going on in the wilderness, and they decide, well, he puts his pants on the same way I do. He prophesies, so do we. He's a priest, so am I. He puts his pants on the same way I do. They come against him verbally. They're they're trashing him. You know, they're trash talking Moses. Okay, major league stupid. You're trash-talking Moses, which is not a good thing. God has placed Moses as the leader over this three million people, and you're coming against him. Okay, we're also guilty of that sometimes. So what happens to Miriam? God calls Moses and Miriam and Aaron out, and he causes Miriam to become leprous. And when she appears, she's white. This is not stage one leprosy. This is stage four. This is a death sentence this is not good. God is holy, and he looks at this disrespect towards the leader that he placed over them. He takes it seriously and says, bam, this is not good. You're not going to get away with this. He shows us that the level, that that disrespect is not something he's going to tolerate when there's disrespect towards his leaders. And so, you know, even us, even now, the, the leader, Pastor Pete, that he's placed as, Pastor Pete and Teresa, that he's placed as leaders over us. we got to watch what we're saying. Because God takes it seriously. Yeah. I don't care who the, you know, this house, other houses that God has placed the leaders in place. We need to know and walk in that respect. It can't just be, you know, it's my brother, it's my brother-in-law, it's my mother, it's my sister, it's my cousin, it's my aunt, it's my friend. we got to watch what we're doing. Well, but Moses then gets to interceding for Miriam. And God reduces her sentence from death to seven days outside the camp. There, is no, there was no forward movement in that camp when, Mo, when Miriam was outside the camp. The, the camp didn't move. Nobody moved. So when there's disrespect in the house, there's no forward movement. But intercession will open the door. It opened the door from, for, from Abraham when he interceded for Lot. He escaped death. When Moses interceded for Miriam, she escaped death. So never, never stop praying for your loved ones. They might be on the wrong side of the door. They might be outside the camp. But your intercession will open the door for them. Sometimes a door has been shut by man. We go to Joshua 6.1. It says, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. Because they were afraid of him. They'd heard that these guys are, you know, tough. No one went out. No one came in. In verse 2, and the Lord said to Joshua, behold, I've delivered Jericho into your hand. If man has shut the door on you, don't be moved by what you see. Only by moved by what the Lord has said. Verse 1, don't be moved by what you see. The door was shut up tight. Verse 2, God said, I've delivered them into your hand. So don't be moved. I, I said a couple of weeks ago in an offering message, Psalm 33, nine. he said it, it is done. So don't ever fear a closed door. God can open any door by any means. There's an old saying that I heard a long time ago, man plans, God laughs. <laughs> that's, that's quite true many times. 1 Kings 8, I know this is kind of not, it it flows and it will come to a conclusion and make sense, but so go with me. 1 Kings 8.35 says, when the skies are shut and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you and they pray towards this place and confess your name and they turn from their sins because you've afflicted them, then may you hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants. It references 2 Chronicles 7.14, which we all know. If my people who are called by my name come on people humble themselves and yep and turn from their ways I'll hear them from heaven and forgive their sin. Sometimes we shut the door behind us because of sin. And we find ourselves on the wrong side of the door. Especially the sin of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will shut the door for healing. It will keep the door closed for blessings. It will keep the door closed for the abundant life that God has for us. It will keep the door from being forgiven by others. We don't want to be on that side of the door. And unforgiveness can be a tough thing to overcome. Well, they hurt me. They didn't treat me right. They abused me. They did whatever it is that they did. However, we still have to. It doesn't mean you forget. And it doesn't mean they have to be your best friend. And it doesn't mean you have to trust them. But there can come a place where you can forgive people without trusting them again, without, you know, forgetting what they've done. And eventually that pain of, the, of what they did will, will lessen. I'm old enough to tell you that eventually that pain lessens. And you can look at them and, and get to, you can actually get to a point, believe it or not, where you could go up to that person and give them a hug. Because the love of God has filled you so much that you can forgive them and love them. Amen. And you know what? That's one of those things that I learned probably in the last two weeks, more than I've learned ever. There were things that had happened, and I, I learned that God can fill me so much with his love that I could now go up to that person and embrace them and go, how are you? What's going on in your life? And, and be truly sincere about it. For me... Those that know me, that's a big deal. Sometimes the Lord allows it to look like you're being shut away from Him. Joseph was shut up in prison twice. First, he was put in a pit, then, he was shut up in prison twice, and he was innocent. Jeremiah was shut up in prison by a king for prophesying accurately. He was innocent, he got put away in prison. Daniel was put in the lion's den. He was innocent. The enemy wants us to be shut away, to be alone, to be isolated, to be afraid, to think God has abandoned us. Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah 33, Jeremiah 39 says, even when Jeremiah was shut up, the word of the Lord came to him. Even when we're shut away by God, the word of the Lord can reach us. And sometimes when that happens, the word of the Lord is even more clear than ever. We hear, it, we hear his voice more clearly. He removes, you know, we learn to run into his arms instead of running from his arms. And, so, and during those times, he frequently will remove the crutches of other people. You know, I might run to my best friend, or I might want to run to my husband, or I might want to run to somebody else. And God just makes sure that they're not available, or they're mad at you, or they don't care about you anymore, or, and you're like, I've been abandoned by everybody. The last month of my dad's life, he lived with us. And the last week, I knew this is the, there's been some changes. This is We're heading down the final stretch here. It was just him and me and dad. I got shut up with God. I heard the voice of the Lord so clearly I had never heard his voice that loud or that clearly before, or at least, you know, it had been a long time. And then there were accusations that came against me during that week and that, that weren't true. So I'm shut away with God, I'm dealing with this, and there's accusations that aren't true coming against me. Well, I, you know, the enemies there whispering at me, telling me that God has abandoned me. But because I was walking so close with the Lord during that time, I could also tell the enemy, I recognize your voice, too. I recognize the the enemy's voice. I recognize God's voice, but I recognize the enemy's voice, too. The enemy tries to tell us that we're isolated, but we're isolated with God, not from God. There have been many times this past year, this has been a tough year for us, well, me. Pat, it hasn't been so bad. (laughs) This has been a tough year for me. I mean, it's been a tough year. And God has allowed me to experience what the enemy told me was loneliness. He told me it was rejection. He told me that God had abandoned me. He told me that my friends have abandoned me. He told me that my family has left me and rejected me and abandoned me. But the Lord revealed to me it was him allowing me and learning how to be shut in with him. Not the most pleasant time I've ever had. However, God loved me enough to let me go through that because he knew that I'd come out on the other side, that I wouldn't run away from him, that I wouldn't abandon him, that I wouldn't do the running. I would run towards him. But he was training me how to run towards him. I mean, I I knew, I thought I knew how to. I thought I knew how to do those things, but I, I didn't know like I do today. And he, he put me into a place where I could hear his voice more clearly. So it's been the best and the worst year of my life. There are times when God teaches us how to shut the door on the enemy. The main way he teaches us is through faith and the confession of his word. So you've got to be in his word. The Bottom line, people, we need to be in the word to know what the word says so that we know what we can tell the enemy. Several times in Nehemiah, the enemies came against him. They prophesied against him. They lied about him. They conspired to kill him. Psalm 31, 7 and 8 says, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You've known my soul in distress and have not shut me up in the hand of the enemy. Daniel went into the lion's den. He'd seen God deliver him many times, and he wasn't afraid of a plot to kill him. Hebrews eleven thirty-two 32 says that by faith, he stopped the mouth of the lion's. The enemy runs around like a roaring lion. He's not a lion. He runs around roaring like a lion. Sometimes we hear that roar and we're like, oh my gosh, and we're afraid. But when the word of God comes out of our mouth, we'll stop that lion, that lying lion, that lying liar, we'll shut his mouth. And that's what the Lord is trying to teach us how to do. He'll he'll teach us how to shut the door on the enemy. I'm getting done. Don't worry. In 2 Kings 4, there's the Shunammite woman. And Elisha would pass by and she'd feed him. Well, eventually she looked at her husband and said, we need to build a little, little space on our house for him. He needs to have his own room when he comes to visit. He finally told his servant, ask her what she wants. And she said, I want a son. So eventually she got a son. And he grew and he died you know, it's, you're like, what happened? This is the child that God told me I could have, and now he's dead. So according to Second Kings 4.21, she put him on Elisha's bed and shut the door. Now death is on that side of the door. And she went to find the man of God. And if we skip over to Mark 5, it's in Matthew, this reference I'm going to give you is in Matthew 8 also but I kind of like the one in Mark 5. In Mark 5, it's, it's one of my favorite stories, and every time I read it, it's different. I get different revelation, or God shows me something different, and I love when he does that. I love when he just opens up his word and goes, look what I'm going to show you today. Mark 5, Jesus was on the other side of the river, the lake, lake, sorry, and he'd just dealt with the demon-possessed man. He'd been in the tombs, he'd been cutting himself, and he got that man delivered. And now he's come back to this side of the shore, and the first thing that happens when he steps off the boat is Jairus. Got to find it. Um, when, verse 21, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea and one of the rulers of the synagogue came Jairus by name when he saw him at his feet when he saw him he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly saying my little daughter lies at the point of death come and lay your hands on her so she may be healed and she will live now i don't know exactly but if Jairus is the leader of the synagogue he might have been jesus's priest uh, you know if jesus is in the area and they're going to walk to Jairus's house maybe i don't know those things i I'm guessing. Eze probably knows, or or Pastor Dan probably knows. Anyway, let's just say that he knows Jesus. Jesus knows Jairus. And anyway, so he's come to Jesus. My daughter is dying. Please come. Please come. Please come. Jesus says, sure. He turns with him to go. All of a sudden, Jesus is like, who touched me? And we know the story. The disciples are like, who touched you? There's this throng of people, there's a multitude of people. Who touched you? Well, he discovers it's the woman that's been suffering with the issue of blood. So now Jesus' attention is over here. But Jairus is still over here. So Jesus is dealing with the woman and telling her daughter, your faith has made you whole, it's great, you're healed, it's wonderful. And the throng is like, yay, this is great. You know, the crowd goes wild. And somebody comes and tells Jairus, your daughter's dead, don't bother the master. Comes and whispers in Jairus' ear, don't bother him Jesus hears this, and he turns and says, "Only believe, don't doubt. Only believe, don't doubt." Luke one thirty one says, "With God, nothing is impossible." Don't you let fear stop you when the enemy comes and whispers and says, "God can't fix it. God can't help you. It's too late. Your kids aren't coming back. They're too old. They haven't made the right decisions. They aren't coming home. You, you aren't going to make it. Your money's... You know, Brittany shared with us a few, well, maybe even a month ago." Couple of months, how, how she needed rent, and God provided. You know, that, that God is going to take care of it. Just don't let the enemy whisper to you. So Jesus finally goes with Jairus, finishes with the woman, and goes with Jairus, knowing both he and Jairus know his daughter's dead. They already know she's already died, she's no longer with us. And he gets home, and there's all this drama, and there's all this wailing, and maybe even the professional mourners have arrived. And I, now maybe that's me, but I'm thinking his wife probably looked at him and thought, why'd you bring him here? You didn't bring him in time. It's too late. He's not going to do any good. What took you so long? I sent you out, you know, however long ago, and you didn't get back here right away like you were going to. And where have you been? You know, I mean, sorry, maybe that sounds like a couple of women. You know, where have you been? I needed you and you weren't here. And, and maybe she responded, not that way at all. You know, I, I, it's just one of those things that maybe. Because you know, we're in that moment of extreme pain and extreme grief and the person that we love the most walks in and we just blast them. How dare you and who did you and why, why, where were you and how come you weren't here when I needed you and that's never happened to my husband. Never. Anyway, so Jesus finally enters the house with Jairus and he gets there. Like I said, all these mourners are there. Sometimes, but God, sometimes, God allows you to be on the same side of the door as death. He allows you to be on that side. He shuts you in so you can witness a miracle. Death on one side of the door. Doubt and unbelief on the other side of the door. There's not a good side of the door anymore. Neither of these sides are any good. But God. Jesus had said, don't doubt. Don't listen to the people in the street. Don't listen to the people in the house. Listen to me and don't look at the circumstances. When my first marriage ended, it felt like death. It was the same type of grief that they tell you that a widow experiences, but mine was also tied to betrayal. It was tied to rejection of me. It was tied to rejection of my children. It was tied to deception. It was tied to lies. Well, I didn't know what to do, so I literally got my Bible, I put it on the floor, and I stood on it. And I said, I know there's a promise in here somewhere. I know that if I stand on the foundation of your word, it'll be okay. But I don't know where it is yet. Because I was a nice little Lutheran girl. So I I didn't know these things yet. I just knew that somewhere in here was something I could hang on to. So, you know, I, I stood on the word. Literally. I shut myself in with Jesus. However, people on the other side of the door, wonderful, nice church people. What did you do? I didn't do anything. Well, oh, no, you can't come. I don't want you talking to my husband. You know, I mean, if you talk to my husband now that you're divorced, oh, my gosh. You know, because divorce is contagious, just so you know. You know, and if you talk to my husband, he might like you better than me. You're, you know, you're an adulterer. No, I didn't commit the adultery. Well, your husband did, so you must be an adulterer. What? How does that work? Well, you can't. You know that you can't remarry because the word says that if you marry an adulterer, that you're, you know, that Pat's going to be an adult he's he's going to be in adultery with me. I'm like, what? Well, then they'd prove it to me by the scripture. They'd pull the scripture out that says all these things, and I'm like, okay. You know, I wanted to keep our friends. We had our friends. When you're married, you have our friends. When you get a divorce, you don't get to keep all of our friends. I didn't get to keep any of our friends because they were all his work friends, and so then the wives, by default, had to go where their husbands went. And their husband said, "I have to support my coworker." Mm -hmm. You know, so you got things are being ripped away from you. Choices are being ripped away from you. I remember making a choice, going, "Okay, somebody's making all of the decisions. We have to get a divorce so I can get remarried." What? Okay, you know, I mean, this was the, these were the things that were, I was being told. Well, marriage is just, it's just a piece of paper. But I need a divorce so I can get married to this one over here. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, and then I'm going to take the car, and I'm going to take this, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to take this, and you get stuck with that. And you take care of the kids, and you take care of the dog, and you take care of this. Yeah, none of you have ever been there. Yep. Great. I'm, praise God. It's not fun. So one of the decisions that I made for me was I changed which side of the sink I washed my dishes on. Somebody said, you know, make a decision for yourself. I went, what? What does that look like anymore? I don't know how to do that. I knew how to make decisions before, but now all of the decisions are being made for me. So I'm on this side of the door where somebody else is controlling my life and somebody else is making decisions and lawyers are making decisions and and all of that. And so I've got death on this side and I've got doubt and unbelief going, well, you can't ever remarry. What? Yeah, right. So, you know, here they are telling me I can't be remarried and I can't do this and I can't do that. And, you know, so they are people piling dirt on my coffin. They're just piling and piling and piling. And in fact, they're even nailing it shut. And I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm dying all over again. First, I have to go through the divorce and now I can't get remarried. Okay. But, but God, death has never stopped Jesus. Never. It's never stopped Being on the wrong side of the door with death and Jesus means you're getting ready for a miracle. There's a miracle coming. So what about Lazarus? Surely he was on the wrong side of the door. Well, sometimes he shuts the door because a miracle only happens behind a closed door. The Shunammite child, she was on the wrong side of the door. Jairus' daughter, wrong side of the door. Lazarus? Wrong side of the door. But when death is challenged, oh, baby. You know, I can't even imagine Lazarus, you know, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Had he just said, come forth, everybody else would have come out too. So he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus starts, you know, wiggling out because he's all mummy wrapped up. And they tell him, you know, Jesus tells him to start unwrapping him. I'm hoping somebody brought him a bathrobe or a towel. Because, you know, he didn't get wrapped up in clothes first and then mummied. He He was naked under there. You know, so can you imagine Lazarus going? What's going on? What are these things at my feet? They kind of look like grave clothes. What's? Where have I been? What's been happening to me? What have you guys been doing? What you, what's going on? I mean, can you imagine how? How you know? I just standing there with grave clothes at your feet would kind of mess with you. Well you, he came out and he was totally new. What killed him? He's cured now. You know, he's he's not going to be the same. He's not going to smell like anybody else. And when we experience that, we're not going to smell like anybody else either. We're not going to look like anybody else. We're not going to act like anybody else. We're not going to think like anybody else. We're not going to talk like anybody else. Being raised from the dead changes your perspective. It gives you a complete radical shift, a paradigm shift. But you won't ever fear death again, you know, because you've been there, done that. You know, you can look at people and go, death? Don't care. Been there, done that. You'll have an encounter with Jesus, and he can't take that away from you. The enemy can't come and say, you can say, no, I, you know, what is it? The, a man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an argument. If you've experienced something, you aren't going to be argued out of it. You will become radical for Jesus when you have an experience with you and him on the wrong side of the door, or what you think is the wrong side of the door. When I got shut away with God after my divorce... I went to him and said, Really? I can't be remarried? And he said, As your husband has released you, so do I. Well, now I'm free. I've had a word from the Lord. I had my miracle. My marriage wasn't restored, but I was free. And I was free to meet and marry Pat. So allow God to shut the door in your life, allow Him to protect you, to shut the door to protect you from the enemy to shut the door to deliver you from the sin that might be surrounding you, you which might mean family and friends. Allow him to shut the door and take you higher, because you know the ark didn't stay here. The ark went higher. Allow him to teach you how to withstand the enemy by shutting you in with him and training you and teaching you. Allow him to shut the door so that you can learn to expect miracles that only he can do for you. Allow him to let you die on that side of the door with him so that he can raise you up so that you're a new creature in Christ. Amen. So thank you, Lord, for, uh, for this morning. Thank you for the message that you gave me. Thank you for safety for Pastor Pete and Teresa as they travel home. And I plead the blood of Jesus over every person in this house that you will arrive home safely and you will have a contented, wonderful Sunday afternoon. Amen. Amen. Amen.